Section 13 of An Explorer in the Air Service. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. An Explorer in the Air Service by Hiram Bingham. Chapter 13. Advanced Training for Pursuit Pilots. It is not my intention in this chapter to furnish a manual whereby a pilot can learn to do stunts or become a good military aviator. On the contrary, since the science of aviation is so very new, and the art of flying has been practiced for so few years, and aerial tactics are scarcely more than a few months old, the object of setting down these details is historical rather than practical. Many of the pilots that went through the course will probably find that at the time they went through, things were not exactly as set down here. I have tried to portray the system as it was at the time the armistice was signed. A few years from now, many of these maneuvers and formations will undoubtedly seem very crude and extraordinary. The pilots who are born this year will look upon us, who strove to the best of our ability to give the most advanced course of flying in the world, as foolish old idiots. At the same time, some of them may be glad to see how we did it, and their fathers may be glad to be reminded of how it was done in November 1918. Fields 4, 5, and 6 were under the very competent direction of Captain St. Clair Street, a most conscientious and successful commander. These fields were equipped with the 15-meter Nieuport, using the same motor as the 18-meter and the 23-meter. While not quite as small as the baby Nieuport, it was the smallest practical avion that the Nieuport company produced, and it was probably the most difficult plane to land. It was used extensively at the front in 1916, but proved to be almost too delicate. Consequently, we believed that when a student had mastered this plane, he could feel confident of his ability to master readily any other type that might be assigned to him at the front or anywhere else. On Field 5, instruction was given in taxiing, taking off and landing. Due to its small wingspread and short body, the 15-meter Nieuport lands very fast and is difficult to handle on the ground. The landing class always offered a good deal of excitement to the spectator and caused much trepidation in the hearts of newly arrived pilots. It was a long cry from a JN-4 to a 15-meter Nieuport. With a JN-4, to level off too far from the ground meant, usually, a disagreeable pancake and something of a shock. To level off a 15-meter Nieuport too far from the ground meant a crashed plane and a chance of serious physical injury. Field 5 was also used to give the students experience in landing near a designated mark and plenty of facility in getting familiar with straight flying on this delicate little plane. While living at Field 5, the pilots did spirals and acrobacy on Fields 4 and 6, 
where it was necessary for them to perfect their ability to make both right and left-hand turns, to learn to locate other planes in the air during flight, and report the number of planes that they had seen, to execute the dreaded tailspin and learn how to come out of it safely, to make tight spirals, half-rolls, and side-slips, in a word, to show their nerve, willingness, and ability to do exactly as told, and to follow instructions without fail. In the airwork class at Field 4, the student was instructed how to make spiral turns at a bank of approximately 65 degrees. He was expected to make continuous figure-eights at an elevation of 1,000 meters or more. The object of this was to familiarize him with the new ship and enable him to make his turns correctly. In the right-hand turn, the torque of the rotary motor has a tendency to pull the nose down, while in the left-hand turn, this tendency is reversed. Consequently, he was instructed to use very little rudder in making a right turn, but to go into the turn by banking the plane over slowly. When the desired amount of bank is reached, the stick is pushed back sufficiently to keep the plane from side-slipping, while the rudder is used to hold the nose up. With the left turn, on the contrary, the rudder is used to keep the nose down. Great care had to be used to do smooth figure-eights with this type of plane, without getting into a vrille or spin. One of the most important things that a pilot had to learn was how to get out of a spin. In order that he might have sufficient experience in doing this, and to make it safe for him to run the risks of getting into a spin while executing some other manoeuvre, it was necessary to teach him first how to get into a spin at will. Instruction as to how to use the control so as to secure these results was given by an instructor in an airplane on the ground. The student was then expected to go through the same performance smoothly and accurately until he had satisfied the instructor that he thoroughly understood exactly what action of the controls would produce with speed and certainty a spin and what action would bring him out again. He was then told to take his plane up to an altitude of nearly 5,000 feet before beginning anything. The spin, or vrille, was executed by throttling down the motor, holding up the nose of the plane until its flying speed was almost lost, then kicking the right rudder violently over and pulling the stick sharply back and to the right. This caused the plane to fall immediately into a vrille, or spinning nosedive. In order to come out of the spin, the rudder is at first placed exactly in neutral. Then the stick is brought into the neutral position and pushed slowly forward. This causes the plane to stop spinning and start a straight nosedive. After flying speed has been attained by the nosedive, the plane is gradually pulled up to a level flying position and the throttle opened. The chief danger is that the student in his excitement will overcontrol and send the plane into a reverse spin or else will push the stick too far forward and turn a somersault, coming out of the spin on his back. Consequently, it was very important to see that the student went up high enough 
so that he had plenty of room to come out of any queer positions into which he might get before falling too close to the ground personally i should have been extremely glad to have been able to avoid the risks due to the necessity for teaching pilots aerial acrobacy in single-seater machines by using more avros and perfecting the student's acrobacy in that extremely manoeuvrable dual control machine but we had to use the planes that we could buy in france shortly after the armistice was signed we began receiving from england avros we ought to have had months before in order to allow for a greatly enlarged program an excellent field was prepared and named field twelve and was devoted entirely to avro work under the direction of lieutenant raymond a watkins the system known as the gosport system developed by colonel smith barry and based on sound flying principles was to have been used on this field in the work of transforming pilots from the training they had received on j n fours caudrons and farnums unfortunately due to our inability to secure enough avros and our determination to use to the limit every plane we could secure from the supply department in paris we were unable to take advantage of our belief in the effectiveness of the gosport system we all without exception would have preferred to have avros for the larger part of our training in this matter we were in entire agreement with the opinion of colonel later brigadier general lee of the r f c who told us in washington in december nineteen seventeen that the avro was the best training plane that great britain had developed during the war to show us what it was like he had one sent over from england and gave frequent flights in washington that winter yet some of our more experienced pilots were loath to admit the necessity of adopting a british training plane and we never secured the full advantage of this information so generously given us by the british aviation liaison officer in the class in spirals on field four students were sent to an altitude of about four thousand feet and required to make four good tight spirals to the left and one to the right with a dead motor and land inside of a circle seventy-five yards in diameter the spirals were supposed to be completed at an elevation of about two thousand feet and pilots were instructed to s down into the field from that altitude to execute this maneuver properly the engine is throttled down and a normal glide assumed then the plane is slowly banked over to an angle of about seventy degrees after passing the forty-five degree point the controls become reversed the stick acting on the elevators which now become rudders is pulled back until it is tight against the seat the rudder is used as an elevator to hold the nose of the plane at such an angle as will ensure sufficient speed without stalling and on the other hand without descending too fast when essing into the field after completing the spirals it was necessary to use a fast glide in order not to stall the plane on the sharp turns 
after satisfying the instructor of his ability to do tight spirals the pilot was next taught to do vertical banks or virages beginning at an elevation of about five thousand feet the movement of the controls in this manoeuvre are the same as those in tight spirals except that the plane is banked over to ninety degrees and the speed is increased to a point where dizziness is brought on very rapidly after this the pilot learned the renversement the quickest method of doing an aerial about face this manoeuvre is performed by first pulling smartly on the stick and then turning the plane over on its back with a sharp quick kick on the right rudder at the same time throttling the motor just as the plane comes over on its back the rudder is kicked sharply back into a neutral position and the stick pulled back into the seat which causes the plane to come out into a normal glide the course of instruction at field five was completed by learning what are known as wing slips when once in a wing slip the plane falls very rapidly sideways and is controlled by a slight pressure on the stick and rudder to get it into the wing slip our pilots were taught to bank the plane over slowly reducing the motor gradually and putting on reverse rudder so as to prevent the plane from diving and at the same time pushing the stick slightly forward in order to overcome any tendency to spiral to come out of the wing slip it is necessary to push the rudder down so as to cause the plane to dive and pull in the stick as though coming out of a spiral to follow all these instructions in detail in the small single seat in Yapor, when they knew that some of their friends had already been killed in attempting to execute these manoeuvres involved an amount of courage that is not understood by the average soldier on the ground at the same time it was absolutely necessary for the flyer who wished to become a good pursuit pilot to do exactly as he was told and carry out his instructions to the letter the pilot who was able to master these various evolutions quickly and safely had nothing to fear from the air the pilot who could not do it but who had kept his inability from the knowledge of his previous instructors was likely to meet with very serious and often fatal consequences it was better for the service that these fatal consequences should not happen in the course of combat at the front but it was very hard on the morale of the students that these fatalities overtook their friends on the flying field one of the instructors in acrobacy a remarkable pilot and the most painstaking and successful of teachers told me it had been his painful duty to help remove eight bodies out of crashed planes on the acrobacy field alone with the perfection of modern methods of physical examination for aviators it ought to be possible to prevent most accidents of this kind by taking poor pilots off the flying list before they reach this point in many cases however the young pilot is too proud to admit that he is not physically fit to do this type of aerial acrobacy and labours under a mistaken idea that by sheer will-power he can provide what is lacking a considerable amount of weeding out occurred at field five and every effort was made to prevent students from continuing in their combat training 
if they gave evidence of physical or mental inability to meet its requirements. Those who passed successfully went on to Field 7, which was furnished with the same type of plane equipped with larger and more powerful engines. Here the 120 horsepower Le Rhone took the place of the 80 horsepower. This field, under the able direction of Captain, later Major, R. S. Davis, was one of our very best fields. It was the only field that succeeded in developing a band of its own, a band, by the way, that made excellent music, and greatly helped the men at Field 7 to be keen about their own organization. Both Fields 5 and 7 maintained very high morale among their officers and enlisted men. They took excellent care of their students and endeavored to keep up their interest as they went along. When the weather prevented regular flying hours, every effort was made to encourage indoor, baseball, handball, and boxing. In addition to becoming familiar with a more powerful motor, the principal instruction at Field 7 consisted of practice in formation flying and the tactics of patrols, both offensive and defensive. Beginning with the simplest kind of formations, the pilot was gradually made familiar with the latest forms of aerial tactics as fast as they were brought back from the front. We were helped by aviators who had engaged in actual combat with the enemy, and who had learned all that both friends and foes had to teach in those famous battles in the air that formed the most spectacular part of the modern battlefield. It was early borne in upon us that the aviator who was a grandstand player did not last long against an enemy formation. The successful pursuit pilot must curb his individual daring and his love of taking a sporting chance. Team play, cooperation, and the weight of numbers were all essential. As the war went on, fighting in the air became more and more a matter of maintaining successful formations intact under all circumstances. It will thus be seen that formation flying was one of our most important subjects, and one that required skillful teaching and the closest application of all students. It generally took about half an hour for the pilot to accustom himself to the new plane. Then he was given four hours' work in a small group of three or four to become familiar with the requirements of keeping his place in formation under all sorts of conditions. Then four hours in flying in a larger group, followed by four hours of work involving offensive and defensive tactics, and two hours of patrol at an altitude of about 15,000 feet. There are several methods used in forming a patrol. Where there is a very large field, the patrol can be formed on the ground and the takeoff can be made in the desired formation. At the front, however, many of the airdromes were small, and few of them large enough or good enough to make this feasible. Consequently, the desired formation was usually achieved in the air by one of two or three methods. The method generally followed at Field 7 was for the leader, before taking off, to equate each member of his formation with the following facts. The place over which planes would rendezvous, 
the altitude at which the patrol would form generally about fifteen hundred feet or high enough to prevent serious accidents but not so high as to waste time or make it difficult for members of the patrol to find one another the general direction which the leader would take after the formation was made the probable route which he intended to follow the way in which his plane was marked usually by a streamer placed on right or left wing depending upon whether the pilots were to use right or left turns while forming the patrol patrols were formed as nearly over the hangars of field seven as possible in order that the instructors might the more readily note which pilots failed to get into formation quickly and observe the cause of their mistakes after each pilot of the patrol had received his instructions he took off as soon as possible without delaying or interfering with the others got his altitude and proceeded to the designated rendezvous as soon as he arrived at this place always maintaining the proper altitude he began to make circles in the specified direction the leader was instructed to wait for all of the patrol to form before starting out as soon as he saw that all were there he gave the signal of attention by rocking his plane from side to side in directing the manoeuvres of aerial patrols in the future we may expect that the use of the wireless telephone will materially change many of the tactics which were common at issoudun in november nineteen eighteen at the same time it is well to remember that the enemy by powerful counter wireless can render the successful operation of such means of communication extremely difficult and perhaps impossible the leader was instructed to keep a straight course until the formation was in good order behind him to make it as comfortable as possible for all the members of the formation and to govern his own speed by that of the slowest plane in the patrol our pilots frequently had trouble in learning to join their formations without taking too much time and without getting lost the most common fault was making the turns too wide the pilots who arrived at the rendezvous first would grow tired of waiting and would tend to form wider and wider circles over a large area which made it difficult for the leader to get them together quickly another trouble was the tendency to keep climbing unconsciously to a higher elevation than that designated as the level of the first formation equipped with a more powerful motor than he had used before and engaged in trying to see which of the hundred or more planes which might be in the air at that time belonged to his formation it was very easy for the inexperienced pilot to keep climbing unless he frequently referred to his barometer another difficulty was that of forming in a strong breeze when the planes tend to make elongated curves unless the pilots take particular pains to make sharp turns when flying with the wind in the face of these and kindred difficulties the best pilots soon came to the fore as for the others it was often necessary to signal to the leader from the ground to start his patrol without waiting for those who were lost strayed or stolen pilots in formations for instructional purposes were numbered as follows leader number one first pilot on the left number two 
first pilot on the right number three second on the left number four and so on in general number two was instructed to fly fifty meters above and behind number one and at an angle of forty five degrees to his left number three the same distance above and behind number one and at an angle of forty five degrees to his right number four and number five took positions relatively similar to the left and right respectively of number two and number three thus each member of the formation was fifty meters behind and above the pilot immediately in front of him and at a constant angle of forty five degrees from him no matter how many planes comprised the patrol if at any time during the patrol the leader was obliged to drop out number three took his place the last man on the left was the rescue man it was his duty to watch any machine that fell out of formation and follow it down but he did not land except in case of emergency if everything was found to be satisfactory and the pilot whom he had followed down did not need assistance the rescue man was instructed to ascend again and rejoin the formation which he was supposed to find circling overhead if the pilot whom he had followed had crashed and appeared to need assistance it was the duty of the rescue man to land and render all possible aid on observing this the remainder of the formation was instructed to return to field seven and report the course in formation flying was graded at first in making simple turns the leader was directed to give no signal but to start gradually at the same time speeding up his engine in order to assist pilots on the inside of the turn to execute the maneuver without stalling or losing flying speed pilots on the inside were told to throttle down as fast as possible and cut in slightly toward the leader in order to avoid being obliged to make too sharp a turn they had to be careful not to approach too close to the arc described by the leader in order to avoid getting into the wash of his propeller pilots on the outside of the turn had to speed up their engines in order to negotiate the turn as fast as possible and at the same time maintain their positions when the leader desired to change the altitude at which the patrol was flying he did so slowly and deliberately particularly in the early part of the training he tried to avoid any tendency to run away from his formation he had to keep track of the members of the patrol and if necessary slacken speed in order to permit stragglers to catch up end of section thirteen